Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. Turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the last portion of the 14th chapter in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus walks on the water. And the title of the message comes straight from what the Jesus told the, the disciples. To be of good cheer, it is I, it is the Lord. Do not be afraid. And uh, it's a message that we still need today, of course, encouragement to be of good cheer. And depending upon uh, how you voted and which way the, the election went uh, for you, you know, uh, be, of good, be of good cheer. Why? Because Jesus is still on the throne. Amen. All right? Amen? Uh, God is on the throne. And sadly, um, especially here in the state of Nevada, that some of the questions that uh, were voted on, and I, I, it's my understanding all three of those questions passed. Wow. Uh, the, uh, the first question is uh, going to be quite devastating uh, here in the state of Nevada. Um, and sadly, most people didn't you know, read or do the research on that. Right. Uh, that they're going to change the, uh, the Nevada Constitution, and, uh, which means they're going to allow uh, boys, you know, males who are who are bored, uh, biological males, to uh, now compete in girls' sports. And uh, that means that they'll also be allowed into uh, the women's restrooms and, and uh, you know, locker rooms, those kinds of things. And that's, a quite, uh, that's quite disturbing, as it ought to be. But sadly, people voted to pass that. But I think 
One of the main reasons is because they didn't actually do research on that. Because they were, they were misled because of this idea of equality. You see? That's how they were, that's how they were misled. Okay? And it's sad because God's people should not, should not vote blindly. They really shouldn't. Now, I, I'm fortunate because I have uh, uh, Miss Cheryl who does all the research. See, she was a librarian, and uh, that's, what, uh, that's the career that she was. So she does all the reading and all, and uh, breaks it all down. So then I know how I ought to vote. <laughs> she does all that research, but sadly, sadly, that one, that one passed. And then uh, uh, someone said, well, and then what about all of the things that they're now saying they're going to do regarding churches and, uh, and preachers and what pastors say? Well, I can, I can share with you this, that I do not answer to Uncle Sam with respect to what I preach. I answer to the Lord. In Sunday school, I mentioned that the, the greatest thing that a congregation can do for its pastor is to pray. To pray. To pray that, that the, the heart of the pastor will be in tune with the heart of God and led by the Lord and honoring to the Lord and proclaiming God's truth without compromise. Without compromise always sharing the truth. Now the day may come when, you know, they'll want to make it illegal for us to preach that homosexuality and all of this stuff and abortion, etc., is illegal because they're going to say that it's hate speech. Well, it's not hate speech. It's not hate speech. Now, to be sure, God hates sin and that's what that is. And God's people are supposed to hate sin. That's the thing that we're supposed to hate. And God's people are to stand up for what is true and what is right. Amen. And we're to proclaim God's truth without compromise. And so we will continue to do that as the Lord empowers us because he is the one who has given us life and he is the one who has given us eternal life. He is the one who empowers us. He is the one who truly cares and loves us. And so, as we begin our message today here in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, for the boat was now in the middle of the, of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, 
command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his head and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look into your holy word, we pray that you be our teacher, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, O Father, for saving us and for giving us your holy word that teaches us about you and about your love and about your plan and the fact that you care for us and that you have a standard for life that you have a very, very clear distinction between what is right and what is wrong. And may we as your children hold to that standard and live by that standard. Now we confess, Lord, that we are sinners. But we also acknowledge responsibility and the wonderful privilege that we have to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, to acknowledge that he died upon the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, shedding his blood to pay the penalty. For as your word teaches, Lord, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no forgiveness, no cleansing of sin. And the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate payment was made by the Lord Jesus. And as we study here in your holy word, we pray, Father, speak to us. Open our hearts and our understanding that we might live lives of faithfulness. And as the society continues to spiral downward, pray that as Christians we remember that you are on the throne and have always been and will always be. And so, Father, we ask, speak to our hearts. And for anyone present who doesn't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, that today they'll come to know him. Whether they're here or listening over the internet or podcast, we pray that they will come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And we thank you, Lord, for your holy word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus spends time alone to pray. And last week we, we mentioned this. You'll recall that, that Jesus would, would often go off by himself to pray. And in following his example, we too need to spend time alone with God. To truly be children of God that reflect the nature and the personality of God, we have to spend time alone with him. 
And we, we, we uh, mentioned that old phrase, right? Birds of a feather flock together, right? Okay. Well, in, uh, in the class when I was uh, teaching over at uh, University of Phoenix, I would uh, make mention about um, some of the classes I taught were success, you know, how to be successful in life and these kinds of things, and how to be an effective um, and responsible and successful student, how to, how to uh, study and all of these kinds of things. <laughs> and uh, so I would ask the question, well, are you, are you happy with where you are in life today? You know, and most of them would say that they weren't. They, they had certain goals, etc. and goals are, are good things. And then I would mention to them, well, you know, you have to be careful with whom you share your goals. Because most people, when you share your goals with, with others, they'll tell you all the reasons why you can't accomplish them. So you have to be very careful with whom you share those goals. And then, uh, as much as is humanly possible, not to hang around with negative people or people who are just constant complainers. And why? Because they will have an influence on you, and it's not a good one. Okay. And so, you know, young lady raised her hand. She said, yeah, but what if you're married to one? <laughs> well, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> you know? And uh, then I would share with them that every person has the capacity for genius. And you do. Every single human being has the capacity for genius. Ah, oh, but you have the responsibility of tapping into that. Tremendous potential. Every human being has tremendous potential. And sadly, so much of that potential goes to waste. But you have tremendous potential. And so this one lady, because um, I had some, some people in class who were, you know, up in age, and she was, uh, she was close to 60. She raised her hand and she said, will you go home with me? I said, I beg, I beg your pardon. She said, I want you to tell my husband. <laughs> okay. well, but you just said that we all have capacity, you know, the capacity for genius, because he told me that I would not be able to complete a college class. Now, how sad is that? Yes, it is. You see, the Bible teaches that we should be encouragers, right? And you probably know the name of the gentleman in the book of Acts, Barnabas. He was called the son of encouragement. He was the one who brought Saul, who became the apostle Paul, and introduced him to the disciples. No one else wanted to, you know, they, they didn't want to touch Paul with a 10-foot pole. Okay? But we're to be encouragers. Encouragers. Amen. And to be an encourager, you need to spend time alone with the encouraging God. Jesus said to be of good cheer, that is to be encouraged. Or to have courage. To take heart. But he sends the disciples away and he, he sends the multitude away. This is after he had fed this 
these multitudes of people, 5,000 men, maybe four or 5,000 women, and maybe 10,000 kids. Anywhere from 15 to 20,000 or more people that he fed. But do you know why he sent them away and he sent the disciples away too? Because over in the other the gospel accounts of, of the feeding of the multitude, when the multitude saw what, what occurred after Jesus looked to heaven and, and, uh, and blessed the bread and the fish and broke it and divided it, they wanted to take him by force and make him king. And, and from the, the language, even the disciples got a little, you know, swept up in, in this movement. And Jesus was not going to have that. Because he could not become king by political force or by force of the mob. He's already the king. But he had to go to the cross. And he would not avoid the cross. At any cost, he would not avoid the cross. And so he, he sends the multitude away. He sends the disciples away. And he goes off into the mountain alone to pray, to spend time with the Father. And it's a, it's a tremendous picture, actually. Today, the Lord Jesus is in heaven. Now, in this particular context, Jesus was up on the mountain alone with the Father praying. The disciples are on the sea, struggling. The Bible says that the wind was contrary. And so they struggle to complete the journey, as it were. Warren Worsby says that this is a picture of the present day church with Jesus in heaven and the church struggling to complete the task that has been given to it by the Lord. That is taking the gospel message to all of humanity. And Jesus is there in heaven. The Bible teaches that he prays on our behalf now. Jesus prayed for us during his earthly ministry and he intercedes on our behalf even now in heaven. But the disciples were about halfway and they were being tossed about. Have you ever felt tossed about in this life? Have you ever felt that things just weren't fair? Yeah, you hear that a lot these days. The wind was contrary. Have you ever had anyone be contrary with you? <laughs> or maybe you've been contrary with someone else. In the actual, uh, in, the, in the Greek, the idea is, is they were tormented and terrified. Almost conveying that this, this storm came up as an attack of the evil one to destroy them and to discourage them. Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever faced a, a challenge in life that was just so difficult that you just wanted to give up. Well, they were struggling. And so the wind, you know, and the waves, now these are seasoned fishermen. Maybe you've watched that program Deadliest Catch where those guys are out there, especially out in Alaska. 
right? And they go out every day fishing at the risk of their lives. Well, these guys were seasoned fishermen. They had been on, you know, this, uh, this lake, the sea. So this was no small little storm, and this was no small little gust of wind. They were afraid that they were going to die, that they were going to drown. And then, to top it off, they see someone walking on the water. And they're thinking, a ghost? You know? Isn't it bad enough that we're in this storm, we're about to drown in the, and, and lose our life, and now we're being attacked, basically, by, by some spirit? And the Lord Jesus speaks to them. And also, the time it says it's the fourth watch. It's the fourth watch of the night. Well, that's about uh, 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. So it's, it's dark, and they're sleepy tired, probably. And they're worn out. And there they are in the middle of the sea. And Jesus speaks to the disciples. And he says, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be encouraged. And why? Because it is I. It, it, it carries the idea of the I am. In, in, the, in the grammar, the, the I am. It means the all-present one. God is present. God is eternally present. No matter what we face, no matter where we are, no matter what time of day, God is eternally present. He has always been. He shall always be. And God's children need to remember that. And then he says, do not be afraid. God's people are not to be afraid. And then in uh, the Sunday school lesson, dealing with the Micah, and, and uh, at that particular time where Micah was preaching, the politicians, the judges, the prophets, and the priests had all become corrupt. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a it's not a laughing matter. It's rather sad. It's a sad commentary on our country. What's even sadder is is the truth that so many Christians don't know the difference and still support those people. And people were, you know, all kinds of various positions and attitudes toward the how the election went. And the polls basically said that the number one issue across the country was the economy. And any person in their right mind can tell you that things have gotten expensive in the last two years. Extremely expensive. That, that, that's not made up. That's true. You know, when, when you used to be able to go and get a, a dozen eggs for like $1.50, I think, right? And now they're four something and five something and six. 
Look, that is a huge increase. That's just one example. And it really makes me laugh when I hear, oh, well, we've lowered the gas a dollar twenty. <laughs> well, two years ago, gas was two bucks. Now it's four to five bucks, and so they lowered a dollar twenty. It's still a couple dollars, <laughs> you know, more expensive. But God's people are supposed to be able to look at things objectively and through the filter of God's word, what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. Jesus says, do not be afraid. I say all that to say this, do not be afraid. We're not to be afraid. We're not people who live in fear. Why? Because God is on the throne. Nothing catches God by surprise. Now, Peter might surprise us. He said, well, Lord, if it really is you, then call me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on. So Peter steps out of the boat. Now, we have it right here that two people walked on water, Jesus and the Apostle Peter. And people like to knock Peter, but you know what? He stepped out of the boat, didn't he? He stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. He actually walked on the water. It says it here, and that settles it. Ah, but what happened? He took his focus, or his, his focus moved from the Lord Jesus to what was happening around him. Has that ever happened to you? You take your focus away from the Lord to circumstances and to others, and to situations. And what happens? You begin to sink. You begin to become overwhelmed. And that's what happened. But he also did something else. That was a, uh, an example for us to follow. He didn't wait until he was drowned, you know, to ask for help. As soon as he began to sink, he cried out to the Lord. And immediately, the Lord reached over and took him by the hand. Tremendous example for us. At the first the first sign of trouble, at the first sign that something is not going well, we need to cry out to the Lord. But all too often, we try to fix it, you know. We try to fix it or manipulate it in our own way. And then Jesus scolded him a little. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? <coughs> Well, the fact is, is that we all doubt. And yet, the Bible teaches that we're to have faith. And I think we could all say together with the man who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Amen? What God wants from us is honesty, truthfulness. We look to him, but when we look at circumstances, oh, circumstances seem so overwhelming. And yet... Our God is on the throne. Now notice, a fourth point here, Jesus is acknowledged in worship. So Jesus reaches out, he takes Peter by the hand, and then they get into the boat. 
And over in the, uh, the accounting, the way that, that, that John uh, describes it, it's like the boat miraculous, miraculously then arrives at shore. Which has led some people to say, well, they really weren't walking on the water. They were, they were, they were walking on the shore. No. Okay. See, that's, a, that's the way that the liberal tries to explain away the miraculous. And there have always been liberals. You need to understand this. Okay? The Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees we've mentioned before did not believe in miracles. The Pharisees actually did. Now, it might be surprising to you to know that, that the Pharisees, in their um, general observance of, of the Scripture, were, were more consistent with us or us with, with, with them than not. But not the Sadducees. The Sadducees are like those so-called Christian denominations that don't believe in the miraculous, and there are many. But we believe in the miracle that the Lord walked on the water. Because he had to walk out to the boat because the boat was in the middle of the lake. You follow? That's what it says here. Not on the shore. But they get into the boat, and when they get into the boat, the wind stops blowing. It, 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 it stops. It ceases. Or in other words, there was a tremendous calm. And the disciples knew why. Because earlier in the gospel, you'll recall that on another occasion, Jesus had been preaching and he was tired. And he got into a boat and he fell asleep in the back. And they were out there rowing and all of a sudden, a storm came up. And they were doing everything they could to keep the water out of the boat. And then they came to Jesus and they said, Master, Master, wake up. Don't you care that we're, we're about to drown? And he, he, he scolded them with that same saying, right? Why? Well, where, brother, is your faith? Well, then notice, the disciples know exactly what happened, and they worship Jesus and acknowledge him as the Son of God. They land in the shores of Gennesaret. It's a fertile plain northwest of the Lake of Galilee. And, um, or the Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the lake, sometimes called the sea. And sometimes when you're reading, it's called the Sea of Tiberias. Because um, on the one side you have Tiberias, on the other side you have Galilee, but, but between Capernaum and, and the Tiberias. And you'll recall earlier in the gospel, there was a woman who had, uh, she had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And she said, if, if I could but just touch, you know, the hem of his garment, I would be healed. And, and she did so. And Jesus, remember, Jesus called her out not to scold her. What did he tell her? Daughter, your faith, right? Your courage, your faith has made you well or completely whole. And these people with that same, that, that, that same mindset, they, they recognized who this was. This is the one that they've been proclaiming is the Messiah. 
And they come, they bring their sick to him, and as many as touched his garment. Now, there are those who say, well, you know, these were a bunch of superstitious people. Well, guess what? They got healed. And why? Because they believed in him. And he loved them and had compassion upon them. And as many as touched him were healed. Amen. And I say that we need to be touched by the Lord every day, all day. Oh, that our government would come to the hem of the Lord's garment. The people are healed by the Lord Jesus. And so what do we learn from this for these passages here? Well, the church is in a battle. The sea of humanity. The sea of humanity. We've, we've mentioned before that, that oftentimes the sea is used in the scripture with reference to the sea of humanity. The sea of humanity. Church and individuals and families face difficulties, storms of many different types. But Jesus is our victory. And Jesus is our song. You notice, though, that faith and peace go together and doubt and fear go together. Let me repeat that. Faith and peace go together. Doubt and fear go together. We never, ever should make decisions out of doubt and fear. But rather by the leadership of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. What do we learn? Difficulties are a part of human existence. You find over in Romans that, that it says a tribulation, right? Well, it's a part of our life as a Christian. And if you stand up for what is right, and if you, if you preach the gospel, and if you share God's love and his standard, you're going to have tribulation. But don't be discouraged by that. Because it, it develops patience and, and, and character, all of these things. And then over in John uh, chapter 16, verse 33, the first part of the verse, Jesus says, in the world, you'll have what? Tribulation. When you listen to those preachers who say, well, when you come to Jesus, all of your, all of your problems are over with, well, from one perspective, that is true because you have the answer of life, the Lord Jesus. Oh, but if they mean you'll never have another difficult day or you'll, you'll never have a, you know, a, a trial or a, a difficult time or be disappointed or be betrayed or fail or any of those things or no misery or loss or pain, they're wrong. That's all a part of human existence. Who in here hasn't... hasn't felt the, the pain, the grief of, of the loss of a loved one. Many, the loss of several loved ones. And that's a pain that, that just does not completely go away. It just doesn't. Or the loss of a job, or how about health? Or as I mentioned this morning, Miss Pauline Anfong, the loss of your toes. Or how about the, the mobility in one of your arms, huh, Brother Jerry? And the difficulty 
It's all a part of human existence. But faith requires us to step out of the boat and to trust Jesus. You see, it's real comfortable in the boat, isn't it? Yeah, it's comfortable in there. But you have to step out of the boat. Faith means actively engaging in belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Active engagement. And I've shared this before with, with those who teach. Teaching. How do you know that the class participant is engaged if all you do is read to them and all they do is sit there listening to you? You don't know what they're thinking. You can't see into their, into their heart. You certainly can't see into their mind. They could be thinking about lunch. And you're, you know, you're just going on and on and on and on. Teachers have to engage the participants in the, in the classroom. And you do that by asking, asking open-ended questions, questions that require higher order thinking and analyzing of the information and then practical application of that information. So a person says, yeah, but I can't get through all the material, so what? It's more important to get them engaged and to get people thinking and applying the truth. We must actively engage our faith in Jesus. And why? Because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And faith, the Bible says, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There are all kinds of people out there that will tell you all kinds of things. And we've mentioned this before. There are you know, so many people who, know that, who believe that they know everything about everything. And you, you probably work with some of those. You, you probably have some of those in your family. Maybe you have some neighbors like that. You know, they tell you what, uh, how you ought to you know, take care of your home and, and how you ought to take care of your yard, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, what car to drive and all of those kinds of things. But we look unto Jesus, and that means devotion. And we come back to that first point again, spending time alone with God. Now, it doesn't really take a long time to pray, does it? it? It really doesn't. But you can spend a long time in prayer if you so desire. You can, you can spend 30 minutes. You can spend an hour. You can spend two hours. Or you can spend a half a day. Or you can spend the whole day. That's a wonderful freedom that God has given to us. To spend time alone with Him. Studying his word, praying, listening to him. Just sitting still and listening. Listening for God to speak. But first you have to believe that he does speak. First it says, well, I don't believe that God speaks to us. So then my question is, well, then how did you know you needed to be saved? How did you know? How did you come to know that you were a sinner? If you didn't believe that God was the one who revealed that to you. And that you didn't feel inside that tug, the tug of God the Spirit saying, you need to repent and accept the Lord. That's God speaking. But how do you know 
unless you spend time alone with him, listening to him. He says, be encouraged, be of good cheer. God has his ever-caring, gracious, and watchful eye upon us. 2 Corinthians says, we go through all kinds of trials, tribulations, and persecutions, but we are never forsaken. Never forsaken. They can pass laws, they can, they can say it's illegal to say a certain thing, whatever the case might be, we are not forsaken by God. And we're to stand up and we're to proclaim his truth. God will see us safely through the storms of life. Hebrews, never will I leave you, he says. Never will I forsake you. First Peter, we'll end here. 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Jesus there on the mountain, praying. The disciples struggling in the middle of the of the sea, a picture of us here in this, in this life. And, and life has its struggles and difficulties and challenges. And never for one moment think that God doesn't see us in that struggle. And Jesus comes. And Peter cries out and the Lord is right there. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. It's God's invitation. Jesus, I come. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness, and light. Jesus, I come to thee. Let's stand, please. As we and whatever that decision is that you need to make for the Lord, you come and make that decision without delay. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word, and we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.